0: Filled with Robohub, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hello, and welcome to the Robohub podcast. In today's episode, we're returning to Fast Brick Robotics, or FBR, a company that some of our longer-standing listeners might remember from an episode three years ago, back in April 2016, in which we introduced Hadrian, the bricklaying robot that could build a house in just two days. Today, our interviewer Ron returns to Fast Brick Robotics, who are based in Perth, Western Australia, to once again speak to one of its founders, Mark Pivak, about their new generation of house-building robots. They discuss how FBR grew from a group of four to what is now a staff of over 150 engineers and programmers who continue to develop, refine and improve autonomous bricklaying robot Hadrian X.
1: Good afternoon, Mark. Uh, For those listeners who might not remember our previous interview, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us about FBR and the Hadrian X construction robot?
2: Hi, I'm Mark Pivak, the Chief Technical Officer and one of the founders of Fast Brick Robotics, or FBR. We're building a very large construction robot using dynamic stabilisation technology to build houses uh, layer by layer by 3D printing bricks. Firstly,
1: welcome back to the podcast. It's been several years since we last spoke about the future of bricklaying, and a lot has changed with you and your company since 2015. How has the technology developed between the 105 prototype and the current iteration?
2: Yeah, so the 105 prototype was really a technology demonstrator. It was built on top of an excavator and uh, could handle uh, maxi brick, which was about 2.2 2.2 standard brick equivalents. Our new machine uh, improves on that technology in a lot of different ways, particularly in the transportation of it. It's now truck mounted onto a normal road-going uh, six-wheel truck, so we can drive out to site at 100 kilometres an hour. And the sizes of bricks that it can handle, it's designed to handle bricks up to the largest commercially available bricks, which are the Wiener which are 500 millimetres long and 250 millimetres high and those are equivalent to about 12 standard brick equivalents so what it means is each laying motion we're now placing up to 6 times as many bricks effectively 6 times the wall area as what we were doing with uh, 105 uh, 105 was a great technology demonstrator but being built on an excavator it was oversized for road transport uh, and would have to go on a, on a float or a low loader type truck uh, with special transport permits and all that sort of thing. So being mobile, being able to go out to site and quickly set up on the back of a truck is a really big improvement. Uh, of course, the laying rate's improved and we've uh, also proven out uh, the onboard saw cutting and uh, we've actually built full-size houses with the 109 Uh, which we, of course, never did with the 105. 105 could be capable of that, um, but 109 is such an improvement that we've basically parked the development of 105 and we don't intend to go any further with that one. The 105 prototype glued and placed pre-cut
1: bricks in sequence, but I believe the Hadrian X has internal saw and router to modify the blocks as they are unpacked from the pallet.
2: Yeah, that's right. So... um, With 105 uh, we had a saw there and it was able to handle different size uh, blocks Uh, but 109 takes that to the next level where the saw is uh, much more efficient than what we had on 105 Um, Mm -hmm. and we've also done a fair bit of work with the customisation of the blocks so we have our own uh, F block design and we've just recently done a a design of block with uh, Brickworks who we've got a partnership with for Australia. And uh, these new blocks have an internal coring, which means that we no longer have to chase uh, the brickwork to put in electrical and plumbing services. We just run it down the cores. And because we lay the bricks with such accuracy and we've got the uh, modular concept of the bricks worked out, when we build a house, all those cores actually line up, which would be very difficult for a manual bricklayer to do, but is a byproduct of our design process. Uh, so that means we actually have quite a bit less reliance on the router uh, and in fact we've found and with our discussions with most builders that uh, they don't really need it um, but it's a nice to have feature. We'll probably get it on there one day but it, it's been a lower priority and that's really because of the um, the core alignment of the blocks.
1: And and coming back to the blocks, because the blocks are not um, uh, human size, right, Uh, it'd be very difficult for uh, bricklayers to actually lay Yeah, that's right.
2: Our our blocks can weigh up to 23 kilos. Uh, The the blocks we've designed with brickworks are a little bit lighter than that, but even so, uh, for a bricklayer to work with those all day would be very tiring. So um, really we've already seen the transition across from bricks and blocks which were designed for humans to lay... Now we're getting into robotic sizes, so of course down the track and in the future we'll probably look at even even bigger blocks. Um, but before we go to that, we we have to prove out the commercial viability of this, um, because of course brick manufacturers won't commit to the plant changes needed to produce bigger blocks until they're absolutely one hundred percent certain of the market, which we're still proving out.
1: And, of course, uh, last time we spoke about the future of jobs in the robotics industry, one of the noticeable changes, of course, is the size of your team, which I believe originally was made up of some university students. How many people do you now employ as a result of the project and what kind of opportunities have you offered as a result?
2: We've seen massive growth over the last few years. I think the last time you talked to me, Ron, we probably had about uh, four or five people working on the project and some of those were probably part-time. We're up to about 120 now. Uh, During construction and the peak design and commissioning phases uh, of the project, we had up to 150-odd people working on it. And, of course, we employ a lot more contractors uh, around town as well with a lot of the componentry which we subcontract out for manufacture. Uh, so the kinds of uh, job opportunities are mechatronics, programming, control systems, engineering uh, and a lot of support activities as well with uh, electrical fitting, uh, mechanical fitting and then of course the admin side of things which you know is needed to support a big team like that. But mainly what we're seeing is a massive growth in uh, the mechatronics side, mechanical engineering Uh, automation engineering and particularly control systems programming
1: has the university base been able to um, assist in in these positions yeah so we have
2: we have a pretty good relationship with both Curtin, edith cowan and uh, uwa who've all provided us uh, with various technical assistance uh, as needed and um, of course the graduates there are really good quality and we we'd like employing them We'd like to see uh, even more mechatronics graduates and more control systems graduates coming online and we certainly think that we'll be growing and um, able to use them. We're probably one of the bigger employers of those kinds of skills in WA. Of course BHP and Rio Tinto employ a lot of uh, automation experts now in their autonomous mining operations, but apart from those, we're probably one of the bigger employers in the Perth region for uh, mechatronics and control systems engineers.
1: How has the robotics construction landscape changed since 2015? Have your competitors uh, emerged as a result of X? Yeah,
2: look, Ron, there's a a few kinds of uh, robotic construction technology. I wouldn't say that we have any direct competitors, um, our closest potential competitor is sort of working in a, in a bit of a different space to where we see automated bricklaying happening. Uh, in the US, they have a, um, a smaller robot which concentrates on building straight sections of walls with the assistance of a, of a human. Uh, we're going for a much more automated solution and targeting more complex structures so that we can build entire houses, not just walls. And then, of course, there's been a lot of activity happening in the 3D printing space. Uh, But the 3D printing space uh, offers a lot of opportunity, but it has some real big issues which haven't been 100% solved by uh, the companies which are working in that space. One of those issues which we're really um, cognizant of is the speed of the process. When you're putting down thin layers of material, it takes quite a long time to build up because each layer has to cure enough to support the next layer. And of course the build finish is not as good as what you get off a a pre-processed brick which has nice flat and straight edges and faces. So we see uh, Hadrian as really being the most technologically viable solution based both on speed, uh, accuracy and quite low waste and easy clean-up.
1: Do you believe the Hadrian X will be the catalyst for uh, adoption of broader robotic construction?
2: Absolutely, Ron. Uh, Robotics is an exponential technology, which means that it's not improving by percentage points each year, it's improving by orders of magnitude each year. Uh, We can see that. I I did a plot of how many bricks have been robotically laid around the world and it's it's one of those 10X technologies where every year we're seeing more and more bricks. We're We're seeing that internally ourselves, uh, just the number of bricks which we're laying ourselves uh, and it's true of our competitors as well. If we look at the number of robots being applied in construction, uh, not just in automated brick laying but if you count 3D printing technologies and also the the off-site application of robots in construction, that's just increasing across the board. So... As far as the future goes, it's not a question of are robots going to be used in constructing houses. I think that question's already been answered. It's just a question of what is going to be the growth rate. A
1: company like uh, Tesla originally set out uh, not to make money but to just build electric cars. But in order to drive uh, adoption, they needed to prove it was economic for investors. Is what FBR is doing with Fast Brick Australia and The Wall as a service uh, business model where you want to be?
2: Absolutely. Uh, We see that as being a really good economic model, partly because the earning potential of a Hadrian X is so high that it doesn't make a lot of sense to actually sell them. With the production capacity that they have even now, and in the future, of course, that will just increase more and more. So, what we will see is the production cost of Hadrian's decreasing over time, and their actual production capacity or how much they can earn increase over time. So, even now, it makes a lot of economic sense to offer wall as a service. The other reason for offering wall as a service is. Taking on a, a big construction robot and completely changing the way a builder might go about constructing walls himself is quite a daunting prospect for somebody who's been traditionally laying bricks. But with the wall as a service model, as far as the builder's concerned, nothing really changes. At the moment, they ring up a contract bricklayer and give them the plans and say, here's the address, can you build me the walls? That process is for the builder is now exactly the same if they're dealing with uh, Fastbrick Brick Australia, and the wall as a service model. So the builder doesn't have to go out and purchase Hadrian X machines. He doesn't have to go out and train operators. He doesn't have to have the maintenance capability and all that sort of thing. So what it's all about, as much as anything, is taking away the risk for the builder, so that it's no different to the way they currently do business. And of course, as a byline for that, it's actually more profitable for us to uh, operate the machines than it is to sell them. That's an
1: interesting thing. Uh, I, I've seen the same thing in the agricultural state with uh, with robotic uh, harvesters in the US. There are companies who don't sell their machines that only sell the service.
2: Yeah and look across the board I think we're seeing um, servitization business models become more and more common. Uh, you know look at how Things like Uber are working, Facebook, even Netflix. You know, we don't actually go out and buy a video or a, or a, a Blu-ray disc or anything anymore. You know, we've got a big stack of CDs and, and um, DVDs at home and I don't think anybody's actually looked at them for a couple of years. You know, we just get onto Netflix or you get onto Spotify and you listen to the music that you want on demand. If you like it, you'll listen to it more. If you don't like it, you, know, you haven't got an asset sitting there in your lounge room that you're not using. Well, we do, um, but that's just because the technology is changing. We're seeing that across the board. You know, companies like Rolls Royce uh, actually provide power by the hour for aircraft jet engines now. So the airlines aren't buying engines; they're just buying the service of that engine to keep that airplane in the air. If the uh, if the engine breaks down or needs service, that's Rolls Royce's responsibility. It takes a lot of risk out for the airlines and it actually provides a known income stream uh, for Rolls-Royce. The other amazing thing about doing that is it means you have complete access to the data of those machines. Uh, And for Rolls-Royce and other aircraft engine manufacturers, and it'll be exactly the same for FBR with Hadrian X's, is that when you collect that data, it's really, really valuable to us because it informs us about how the users are using those machines and it gives us a whole bunch of information that we can use to improve and make the next next models even better. That's really only become viable by the digitization of those products back in the olden days when aircraft engines were all manually operated. you know it was quite possible for the pilots to overspeed the engines or over tempt them or use them in ways uh which they weren't intended for, you know, fly through dust storms or whatever. But with the number, with the amount of sensors that are now on engines and the real-time monitoring, Rolls-Royce monitors every engine in real time. They know exactly what the engine's doing. The digital control system on the engine prevents them from being used in in ways which they weren't intended, which is good for the airline because they get better lifetime out of it, but it also means that uh, they don't have warranty problems and there's no there's no longer any conflict or doubt about why there was an engine problem. You know, it's not, did the operator do something to it? Did they did they cook the thing and have, you know, not told anybody about it? Well, with the digital control systems capturing all that data, that's no longer a problem. We have exactly the same thing on the Hadrian Xs. You know, we collect a vast amount of data about how the bricks are travelling through the machine and, you know... What the temperature of the engine is, and the coolant systems on the machine, and a whole bunch of different things like that, which will be useful for us not only now while we're improving and developing the machine, but when we go to go to designing and developing the next models of machine, you know, we'll be using all that data to see how we can speed up the machine and make it more reliable and improve it, uh, all with the end goal of making it uh, more profitable.
1: Are you also looking at uh, developments of other robots in different aspects uh, than construction?
2: Yeah, look, Ron, our core uh, technology is dynamic stabilisation technology, which really means that we can do accurate work over a very large workspace with robots, which previously, without DST technology, is difficult or impossible to achieve. Um This opens up a whole bunch of applications. The low-hanging fruit for us is the construction industry and in the construction industry the low-hanging fruit for us there is placing bricks. Um, That's a massive market. It's a multi-trillion dollar market globally. Uh, We think we'll have our work cut out for us for a long time there but of course we're looking at other opportunities um, and we're working on a number of different uh, potential partnerships and Different ways of commercialising that. But as for the specific applications, I I can't go into that too much.
1: Will we be able to create cheaper and faster housing to meet the growing needs of the community, both urban and rural?
2: Absolutely. Uh, One of the things with exponential technologies is over time, uh, as the technology improves, uh, it becomes ubiquitous and widespread, and eventually the price uh, drops. Initially, Uh, it will take us a long time to have a significant market share of the construction industry. It's just so big. Um, So I wouldn't expect the price of housing to rapidly fall because one or two Hadrians have appeared. However, over time, when we become a significant factor in the industry, and I think we will, uh, of course, then that will have an impact on the price. Uh, And we've seen it across multiple in- industries virtually any industry which has been uh digitalized goes through a bit of a life cycle where it starts off expensive and it has niche applications you know computers started off in the uh, military industry in the space industry where cost wasn't really an object but now everybody has a, has a computer in a smartphone you know even in the poorest parts of the world. Uh, There's a very high adoption rate of mobile phones, smartphones, call them computers. It's become ubiquitous and and the cost of computing has just dropped off off the scale. It's so cheap that everybody has it. Solar power is the same sort of thing. When that first started off, only had applications in outer space. Then it had applications in remote areas where it was really expensive to get diesel fuel there. Now it's virtually ubiquitous. It's cheaper now to have solar cells than to build a new coal-fired power plant. In a few years' time, it'll be cheaper to install new solar cells as a utility power source than to continue running a coal or gas-fired power plant. That's going to be a game-changer. And we're going to see exactly the same things happen in digital construction. It's not going to happen tomorrow. To get to that 100% adoption phase Uh, for a long time there will still be a lot of manual construction work going on Uh, but over time digital construction technology will become used the population will get used to it trades will change and you know over the 20 year time period it will become extremely widespread and that's when it will have a massive impact on pricing
1: Earlier in the year, Hadrian X completed its first outdoor build of a home structure. What is next for FBR?
2: Okay, so uh, coming up next for FBR is building more houses and building real houses that people will end up living in. Uh, We're planning our first house builds with commercial builders right now.
1: And in conclusion... Can I thank you on behalf of the Robohub and the podcast for providing us a view into the future of robotics?
2: Thank you very much, Ron. Thank you.
0: that's the end of today's episode as always simply go to robohub.org forward slash podcast for loads more exciting episodes news and views about robotics including our original episode on hadrian which you can find linked in this episode's description And if you have any feedback for us here at the RoboHub podcast, we're always happy to hear from you. Whether it's a suggestion for an interview topic or interviewee, a question about one of our episodes, or if you'd like to get involved yourself, simply email our president, audro, at audro.nash at robohub.org. We'll be back in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Build with Robohub The podcast for news And views on robotics